Hey Rodney, did you know Slack's been a part of the Ready for as long as I have? You mean like back in the Bryant Park days? You know it. Even when there were only a couple of us working out of a cafe in Midtown, Slack is where we came together to tackle the future of work. Over eight years later, we're fully decentralized across eight time zones, and we still do it all with Slack. That's right, because it's the AI-powered platform for growing your business, keeping your teams connected, and making work legitimately simpler. Now you can get up to speed on a new project with one-click summaries or find exactly what you need, when you need it, with an AI-supercharged search function. It makes your day-to-day easier and gives you the freedom to focus on what really matters, your future. Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. So take a presentation. Um, the groupings, it's me and the unwashed many. Right? That, that's, <laughs> see, uh, it's working. It's the leader in the proletariat, and that's it? Well, it's, it's even less than the proletariat. It's it's the unwashed. <laughs> they have no idea about how expert I am. Uh, they can't approach my my status. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working. I'm Aaron Dignant, and I'm joined by my intrepid co-host, Rodney Evans. I do feel intrepid, y'all. Hi. <laughs> And today we're also joined by Keith McCandless, the co-author of the amazing foundational book, uh, Liberating Structures. So Keith, welcome to the show. Uh, Good morning. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. So on today's episode, we're going to talk about that. Uh, Liberating Structures is a big topic, and it's probably a set of words that if you haven't read or seen the book, uh, sounds pretty unfamiliar. So we'll kind of dig into what that means. But before we do that, we, of course, will check in. Of course we will. Because we do all the time, every week. Uh, <laughs> Almost too much. Question. <laughs> Some might say too frequently. Our check-in question for today is this one. If you could instantly become an expert in anything, what would it be? Uh, Aaron, let's start with you. So I have decided that I would very much like to be able to paint portraits, like oil classical portraits of my friends and family. So I'm going with that kind of museum level oil painting portraiture skill. Nice. You are already a very good artist. So I feel like this is not a huge leap for you. The paint eludes me though. Mm, Okay. I see. All right. Keith, what about you? Uh, Well, I'm uh, flip-flopping between uh, anthropologist because I love examining human behavior and photographer since Aaron once went arty. I, uh, I'm an amateur <laughs> photographer and I love waiting for the moment in which the bird, the bird is always the most difficult thing to get at its full, <laughs> full potential. And so I could learn a lot more about photography and be less amateurish. So, uh, I'm still flip-flopping though. Anthropologist is, is pretty awesome. <laughs> nice. Awesome. Um, for me, <laughs> y'all, this is a little bit in left field, but I feel like at this point, our listening audience knows that I'm the weirdo sometimes in the group. I have mm-hmm. been experimenting recently with um, alternate life regressions and like astral projection stuff. <laughs> and it requires a lot of uh, practice and skill, particularly in meditation and visualization, but also just in, you know, it's just practice. It's just a, 
a, a deep psychological practice that to me from everything that I'm reading and trying is just going to take me a lifetime to master. So I would just like to speed up my ability to astrally project if possible. You, sh- you should get some smelling salts in a heater because that could you could speed it up that way. <laughs> You're the worst. <laughs> I, I had a boss, Rodney, you, you'll like this, I think. I had a boss. She was great. She remembered everything I said and then held me to it. I don't know if you think that's great as a boss, but she was a good listener. But she went to the Zen Center and, mm-hmm. you know, partway through a, a week or something, said, could we speed this up? I don't think one trip to the Zen Center is going to do That's not going to cut yeah. it. Yeah. Not going to do it. All right. So, look, we're super excited to have you here to talk about liberating structures with us, Keith, because um, it's a book we use a lot. I mean, we I would say we've been using techniques from the book since the day The Ready was founded and and myself and Rodney even before that. So um, I guess maybe start by telling the audience a little bit about liberating structures broadly. What is it? How did the movement start? Like, where did this all come from? Because it feels almost a little bit timeless. Yeah. Well, like you, or I sense this is true for both of you, uh, deep frustration uh, with how things are. The way we organize, I'm deeply sure. frustrated with it. I, I, you've got to reinvent it. You can't kind of fix it. It needs reinvention. So I see that coursing throughout your work. And so I was running various learning, leadership, education things for uh, where I was the research director or in charge of like the, the horizon, whatever the horizon might be. Could we, could we get there uh, sooner? And eventually uh, running through a lot of different methods, uh, I needed a new theory mm-hmm. and uh, bumped into complexity science because uh, the theory supporting most of the methods out there uh, was part and parcel of what was wrong and what mm-hmm. was frustrating. And so the theory gave me confidence, complexity science as a, as a theory. And so uh, Henry, my co-author, and I uh, got involved in a couple different networks. Uh, Henry started an organization uh, focused on practical applications of complexity science. And that was uh, the beginning of oh, could we do something practical with something as fuzzy, nonlinear, kind of confusing as, as, uh, as complexity science? So mm-hmm. that, that was really the start. And what that, the big thing that, that helped us realize is it's the relationships. It's the pattern of how we're relating to each other that's fundamentally will recreate the system we have now. And that's not acceptable for me or... Well, I think for a lot of people, they're super frustrated with how we organize. So what's, when you said foundational, or it, it is kind of fundamental because we've, we're tapping another uh, uh, set of scientific ideas that's different from the ones that generated this, uh, the, the pattern we're in now, or the, mm-hmm. the way of organizing, the kinds of organizations we have, all are, are based on old, older uh, a particular kind of science that does wonderful things, but it it frustrates <laughs> the hell out of me. Uh, so, was that enough of an answer? 
<laughs> I think so. Um, but let's talk a little bit more about uh, what a liberating structure is. Mm -hmm. So we went really, really small. So the simplest one that's useful in all the others is called one, two, four, all. A classic. One of our favorites. Yeah, it is. It, it, you just can't beat it. And you realize once you start using it, it's an essential, it's a fundamental kind of thing. So one minute to think for yourself, which we skip most of the time in typical mm -hmm. organizing. Uh, two minutes to talk to one other person and everyone, even if they're shy and don't like contact much, uh, can talk to one other person for two minutes and then four minutes in a group of four and then some all time, usually five or six minutes. And these are rapid iterative uh, cycles. You can repeat the one, two, four all multiple times. And just this way of including every voice, uh, it includes every voice in shaping what's about to happen next. So it's not just in, it's not just an inclusive approach. It is uh, designed to uh, include every voice in shaping what happens next. And because it's fast and iterative, you kind of lose track of where did this momentum, where did this idea, where did this uh, direction come from? You lose mm -hmm. lose track of it, and that is a miracle every time. <laughs> So that's a liberating structure, and um, it's so simple and so small. It's quite easy to overlook. So one, two, four, all is one that we use all the time and love very much. And what I heard you say in there that I, I think is uh, germane and very consistent between a lot of the liberating structures is um, design for inclusion and sort of you know, shared airtime and democratization of voice and other things that we talk about a lot. Could you talk about some of the other like microstructures that are present in most of the liberating structures that you have created? Like what are the sort of principle level things that show up in, in most of the practices? Yeah. So there's a singular, uh, logic, uh, and we call them, uh, <laughs> micro-organizing design elements. Sorry for that. But, uh, but they're, they're micro-organizing -organ elements and they're present in every, every one of 33 formally published liberating structures. And then there's probably 20 mm. that the community has developed since the book. Uh, and so uh, we, sh we should talk about that, maybe some of the new ones, because they address needs that are, you know, uh, were not addressed in our first uh, 10 years of work together, Henry and I, uh, they're, they're new things that are need to be addressed. But, um, so the micro organizing design elements are, uh, an invitation, every conventional method, non liberating conventional method has these same elements and we just name them. So Henry is, a was trained as a chemical engineer and I think it comes from there, but we're, you know, we're very small here. And so an invitation, there's always an invitation. There's always participation. And that's, uh, we go to great lengths to include every, every person, everyone is invited. Uh, there's groups, uh, you specify, uh, what kind of pairs or fours or, uh, uh, what that kind of, uh, arrangement of people is, uh, then physical space. What, how do you use the, the, the space involved in, in things? Um, and then finally, uh, the timing, uh, sequence or, or cadence of the thing. Uh, 
And those five elements get specified in every liberating structure. So they're quite specific. Uh, one of the, and, and it's relatively simple, even if you're doing something kind of complex with the approach, like critical uncertainties is very popular uh, in the pan- pandemic. Um, you can hence a new participant walks into a workshop or uh, walks into a Zoom meeting and you can give them a little script and they can run the liberating structure with those mm-hmm. five micro-organizing elements. Um, and it may not be perfect, uh, but that was our goal to make uh, each method uh, simple enough that it's accessible to non-facilitators, to pe- to novices, uh, to anyone. And uh, be- that's possible because we broke it down into these uh, micro-organizing elements. So speaking of uh, accessibility and making it you know work for everyone, I'm curious if you have experienced resistance, skepticism, cynicism to just jumping in and <clears throat> excuse me, to just jumping in and using the practices and what you have done to kind of navigate around that. So it's time to do one, two, four, all. How do you just get folks to play instead of debate, you know, how we're going to play? Uh, oh God, I've got so many fun stories uh, <laughs> about this. So almost, I, I don't expect any client. So I, I have clients. So I, I work in the field a lot. I love working with clients and I love their response to, to this too, even though it's, it is in many cases, uh, like you say, they're, they're cynical. They should be cynical. How many different change programs have come by and mostly just irritated, you know, uh, uh, disappointed <laughs> their results. So I, I believe I, I, anyone who's paying attention should be cynical. So uh, what I suggest as we're, we put together a design, we, we uh, call them strings. They're combinations of structures so over whatever period of time we're working with a client, um, an hour or days. Uh, and we'll have this elaborate plan and they're, they're into it because they, they want a change. Uh, but at the same time, I say, well, you should develop a, a plan that's simultaneous that you're ready to do that has uh, lectures and uh, report outs, uh, brainstorms, uh, open discussion, and all of the conventional approaches. And, and, and you should have it in your back pocket, ready to go the moment that liberating structures fail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I, I just like, <laughs> you don't, don't trust it, but. And so the most fun I had with this was uh, in Belgium. We were out in um, Bruges and it was a group of uh, Flemish cardiologists. And if you can imagine (laughs) a big, tall, powerful expert cardiologist and you've got 60 of them in a room, we're down in a cave somewhere drinking wine. It's a gloriously wonderful place. And uh, I'm the one. Henry says, you go, Keith. I don't know about your partnership with uh, between the two of you, but if somebody doesn't want to do something, you can easily ask the other, you know, kind of, it's your <laughs> turn. Uh, and um, they had their arms crossed. They were drinking wine. I had to interrupt them, you know, at a microphone. I said, well, I'd like you to stand up. So impromptu networking is another yep. liberating structure. It's quite mm-hmm. simple. Uh, they've got their arms crossed. They're ir- irritated that I've, uh, the client is with me in the front of the room going, I told you, 
Uh, and I'd like you to stand up. You know, I invite you to stand up and uh, share with the person closest to you uh, the biggest challenge you face and referring your patients. Now, this is very local and contextual. Referring your patients uh, out to someone else. What's your What's the big challenge with that? And and what might you get from this group of people assembled here, your colleagues? You know, could you talk about those two questions for the next few minutes? Well, there was a, a pause, just like the one, and they turned to their neighbor. They were kind of like, I don't know if I'm going to do this. And then they started in. The room exploded with uh, excitement and sound. They were actually talking about what was really important to them. And then, well, okay, and ding, I have some bells, some zen, zen you know, tingsha bells, ding. You know, well, okay, find another person, another colleague, answer the same question. Mm-hmm. And the room goes even more. We're in this cave, uh, in, you know, down below Bruges in some medieval kind of thing. It's really loud. <laughs> and the client is just like has a smile the size, you know, beyond the edges of their face. Uh, because it was the first time they actually engaged uh, their customers fully in something that was deeply important to them. And this was the first, this was part one of a. 15 part string of liberating mm-hmm. structures. So that usually if you start off with something pretty simple and you can just see it, it it's tangible. Uh, what's different about the approach it, it gives, it generates immediate short-term results. So then that cynicism melts uh, a bit. You gotta, you gotta keep proving it in every moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Right. One thing that I notice in uh, using liberating structures and and other uh, very participatory facilitation methods is this, and I would like to just hear your sort of thoughts on this, Keith. I see um, groups gravitate toward the traditional structuring methods that you talked about, so decks and updates and scripted sort of one-way communication with a little bit of Q&A at the end or, you know, breakouts with the flip chart and come back and talk to the, et cetera, all the, all the moves that we know. And I see those groups very disappointed (laughs) and underwhelmed with what they get from that. And then also very um, hesitant to do something that is more active initially. And to me, some of that is just a stuckness and that even though the old way is ineffective, it also allows us to just sit and get something which is easier than being asked to actually do something. And so I just like, I noticed that moment and that sort of disconnect between the frustration and disappointment and also the hesitance to like jump in and do. Is that something that you notice in groups? And, and is there anything that you, besides just saying like, okay, you know, the time has started, go. Is there anything, is there anything else there to unearth yeah. To keep it going. Yeah. Uh, just to get yeah. people actually doing stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, this is shop talk now is what I call shop talk. Uh, this is the heart of things. Uh, so yeah, there's a few things that I, uh, I've kind of learned how to do over a 
I'm still experimenting with them, but one is called uh, developmental evaluation or principle-centered evaluation or just something in which you're constantly asking the same question. Okay, we just did this thing where we did some things. Well, huh, think for yourself, talk to your neighbor. What seems possible now mm. that didn't seem possible before? So you're, you know, you, mm -hmm. I'll use this language with you, but there's things that emerged. There are emergent properties of this doing that we, we adore in, in doing this work. Uh, the three of us, we, we adore it. And, and it's like, what did you... <clears throat> Let's elevate that to everyone hears, everybody starts thinking about, well, what's possible now? And so the attraction uh, to making progress is very, very strong. And because those methods that you mentioned, the, the update that I've critiqued, and you, you critique the update, the the pre-designed lecture or pre, you know slides or uh, even open discussion all of those things aren't very productive they don't generate uh, attraction to something new that's possible mm -hmm. or just some possibility it may be something old that's possible but what mm -hmm. so i keep asking and there's various ways to do it you kind of interrupt the flow to say well given that uh, given this then what yeah. Uh, and so that you can start going so fast that no one will notice how far they've come. Mm. So you actually have to, the cadence is a big deal. So you go really fast and then you slow it way down uh, to uh, answer this, answer these three or four questions uh, 10 times for yourself in the next minute, just jot something down and then next question, and then go back and look at all of those things and decide which ones really surprised you that you wrote them, you know, uh, five things about what's possible now. And then five things about, well, if that was possible, what else would be possible? And, and so you slow the, the, the action way down. And as a result of that, then you're ready again to do. Mm -hmm. It's funny uh, because that sort of maps to our work when we're changing, you know, embedded practices in the regular kind of day-to-day -day flow and people build some mastery and some, you know, sort of move into that adjacent possible. And if we don't ever stop the group to just notice like what's different about us, they kind of don't like we just, we sort of boil the frog uh, on our way to wherever we're going and, and we're surprisingly unaware. So there is there, there's this sort of like, stopping to acknowledge, stopping to notice thing that needs to be done more intentionally, which is interesting to see in the micro and the macro. Well, and uh, I bet they projected onto you that you're a magician. <laughs> some days. You're awesome. You are. Some days. <laughs> you are. Well, some, some days, days yeah, we're just it, irritants. It can go wrong. But some days we're magic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you're, I think of myself as a jester most of the time. Um, yeah. But... The essential thing there is uh, they can do it. So I go to great lengths uh, in all, and the people I work with, I'm, I'm trying to get co-leadership in every moment mm -hmm. so that uh, it's not projected onto me. Mm -hmm. If I'm the hero and the magician and all of that, I would rather uh, – that 
it can so easily be a shared kind of leadership and that, that then people actually know how to keep generating that. And it's much harder as a outsider coming in and uh, trying to share, even when you have super simple methods like liberating structures, it's, it's difficult to share the leadership uh, as people, their first attempt at things are good enough to uh, transfer the ownership of the approach to the, uh, to the client, to the user. So that, that's what's interesting about it to me uh, is that it, it can't be owned. If it's owned by me, I'm not being successful. If, it's, if that magic, that momentum is transferred to me, I'm failing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, it's a, it's a disappearing act. Uh, that I'm in most of the time. I feel like I'm most successful if I'm disappearing. And it annoys the client because they think, they really do think it's in me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, there's no greater satisfaction as a facilitator than to fade into the background and see things unfold. It happened. Uh, there's this school in Denmark called Chaos Pilots. If you haven't yes. checked it, check it, that's my favorite. And I, you know, we convened a design group of students. And a faculty, one faculty member who got wind of liberating structures a few years ago. And um, we planned a thing, a week-long thing with a student group. And uh, two of the really young women in the group were up in front of the room with me at the beginning. And about 45 minutes in, they look over at me and it's like, Keith, we've we've got this. <laughs> you can, you can sit down go. now. <laughs> But that was the world the speed record uh, for that. And, you know, they did mess a, cup, a little. There were things that were could have been better. And I did talk to them about it immediately, but not. I didn't interrupt them mm-hmm. uh, in any way while they were doing the work. But I, I was there to kind of uh, gently say, well, you could have done this or that. But, yeah, that's the most satisfying, Rodney. That is the most absolutely the most satisfying and it requires you know this work requires you to be very confident about what's possible at the same time you are stepping back Mm -hmm. so completely to a role of uh, cultivating their own uh, leadership Mm -hmm. so i don't like to call it facilitation i I just like to Mm -hmm. call it leadership Mm -hmm. i think facilitation uh, diminishes what's going on interesting Uh, but so that's really interesting to me. So one of the things that you alluded to when you talked a bit about where this came from in the study of complexity science is that old ways are not working, which anyone who listens to this podcast knows that we bang on about a lot. Sure. Um, <laughs> we're, all, we're all happily swimming in that territory. But maybe, Keith, talk to us a little bit about what the patterns are that you see liberating structures disrupting or interrupting? Like if your organizing principles are the five things that you sort of articulated to us, what are what are the principles of the more traditional, um, more like pernicious uh, patterns that, that your work is meant to um, disrupt or shift? What's the antimatter? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's good fun. Uh, work and I, I go out of my way to make fun of it sometimes. It's I'm not sure it's productive, but it drives me nuts, so I, I do it. So if you take those five organizing elements, let's take a presentation, 
And uh, uh, so the first one is, the invitation is, listen to me. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not <laughs> turn to your neighbor or think for yourself. It's listen to me. Uh, the participation, I get 99%. If I remember at the end, there's 1% for questions, which I, I will mostly dismiss <laughs> because they're, they're not good questions. Well, nobody actually had time to think, uh, so they aren't very good questions. Um, the groupings, uh, the, the pairings, whatever, it's it's me and the unwashed many. <laughs> right? that, that's... <laughs> See, I, it's working. It's the leader it's in the proletariat, and that's it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's even less than the proletariat. It's it's the unwashed. <laughs> they have no idea about how expert I am. Uh, they can't approach my my status. Uh, and then the uh, 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 the groups. Well, the timing is is I get ninety nine point nine percent of the time, and, and there's this little bit for for questioning. So that's the cadence. I, I go until. Uh, I run out of time and forget to ask the questions. So that's a, a way to use the microorganizing elements to describe uh, cynically well, a presentation, which is a, and each of the five conventional, when we went around and did, you know, looked at research, you, I know you did this too. You go around and look and see what people are doing. Well, there were really only, we call them the big five conventional methods and they produce something they do. But they, they're, they're quite limited, and it's, so it's pretty easy to use the, uh, these microorganizing elements to describe uh, how they work and what their limits are. All right, so let's get to the chase. Uh, we know they're all your babies, but what's your favorite liberating structure? It depends on the moment and time in which we live. So right now, uh, with a, a vast array of clients' uh, critical uncertainties, which is a very simple, simple form of uh, scenario planning. Sure. Uh, is the one that helps us understand uh, this moment better and uh, it attract our imaginations out a little distance, you know, a little bit. It isn't, uh, I think before the pandemic, I could easily get clients to think five or they'd say, what's the, what's the planning horizon? You know, what, what horizon are, how far out can we go? And it'd be five, mm-hmm. 10, 20 years, depending on the kind of work they were doing or, <laughs> or longer, days. 50. Mm-hmm. NASA, I mean, it was like, we're, we're planning things for 25 years from now. Or, uh, and, and I'm like, okay, it's going to be hard to find users <laughs> to talk to about uh, that. But the, um, uh, so we can imagine, we can go out there and imagine something more, be, be, we can understand the present more and make better choices about this moment uh, because we've imagined more uh, uh, options in the future, uh, more more operating environments in which we we need to succeed. Could so we that, do at the, at the moment? That's my my favorite. Could we do a miniature version of that right now? Yeah, let's do it. Let's just do one. Let's yeah. let's do those critical uncertainties. Yeah. So, do you want to do it for? Um, the kind of work we do, or do you want to do it for someone else? Uh, let's do it. Let's do it for the podcast. Oh, podcast. Okay. Uh, so, well, do you want me to lead it 
Uh, just yes, we're going to completely uh, put you on the spot yeah, yeah, and yeah, not pay you. Into, Let, we'd love to have you leave. Uh, have, have, <laughs> have, yeah, have me, you, I can contradict myself right now if I follow your lead. So I bet you've used critical uncertainties. But the, the first thing is usually asking a series of uh, uh, questions like um, what's essential to your, what's essential to your podcast? What, what, to operate it, what what are a few of the things that are super essential? And that, this is usually done by yourself writing things down. And you can do that if you like, but it'll take a little longer. Um, uh, <laughs> I think we can play jazz. So I, I mean, I my mind goes immediately to time and attention. Like this needs nurturing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, what are some other things essential to our podcast? Is our relationship? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, That's strong. I like that. Uh, also our network, like the, you know, folks like you to come on and, mm-hmm. and tell us what's up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even more, uh, uh, more gritty than that. Get, go down a level. Mm. For me, essential is, is being in the work of transformation because that is how we can show up and talk about it. Mm-hmm. And for me, when you right. said grittier, I immediately went to like our health, our well-being, mm-hmm. our you know, like being having a business that's healthy enough to to spend a couple hours a week goofing off talking to mm-hmm. folks. Mm-hmm. I'm even thinking, and I'm I'm guiding you more than I normally would, but things like uh, well, Zencaster, mm. I don't I'm not sure familiar with it, uh, sure. but the, the technologies, the microphones, the microphones uh, a quiet office. Um, Taylor Marvin, our wonderful editor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Internet, so which I've come to appreciate of, since I don't seem to have it consistently anymore. <laughs> uh-huh. I just heard a burp on your internet. I think fantastic. Uh, so, yeah, great. Um, so, what would a uh, next question would be something like, you know, what um, what makes your what would make your operating a uh, to operate the this podcast what what would make it vulnerable what makes you vulnerable uh, uh what are the things that could uh, put you out of business mm. well i think if if someone else was covering our territory with more depth and more quality that would be frustrating uh-huh. to me what it's else? really us becoming distracted by other things more than it is any other external threat. We're our own worst enemy. Mm-hmm. So distraction. Yeah. Yeah. And just deprioritizing it because it is important, but not urgent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think running out of ideas. <laughs> I think that keeps me awake much more than it does Aaron. Yes. <laughs> oh God, that's funny. Um, all right. So what, with these questions, we're starting to get at what's both, what's critically uncertain about your ability to operate this podcast. So if you jotted down a bunch of things, I'd invite you to, go back and circle the ones that are 
wow, that's it. Those are surprises. Mm. Uh, these stand out, whatever it may be. And um, uh, they get put into, uh, you create extremes around. So one extreme would be there's an infinite number of ideas. And the other extreme would be we, the well is dry. Mm-hmm. Mm. And that's one axis. Um, if you go on the other uh, side, we're uh, healthy and f- feeling good and, you know, have a lot of energy to do this and are investing in our relationship. Uh, and the other end is one of us, you know, we're, we're just not able to, we're not doing as well physically or mentally. Uh, we're unable to do it, but you want to, you know, that's an extreme. So if you take, uh, we're doing really well and there's an infinite number of ideas uh, that creates an operating reality for you, mm-hmm. right? That's a beautiful, dreamy <laughs> future sure. for whatever length of time you can imagine. On the opposite, if you go down to the uh, bottom right quadrant, it's, well, you're, you're not as healthy, you're not as in good a relationship, and um, it seems like you're struggling to find ideas. But you still want, you think the pod, you still have the purpose of the podcast advances reinventing, you know, there's something really powerful mm-hmm. about doing this podcast that you, I want you to keep doing it. So how are you going to do it? Given that your, you know, your health or your vitality isn't as much and, and you're, you're struggling to find topic matter. Uh, that's another operating reality. That's a darker one. But what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. What, what, how are you going to prepare? What are the things, what are the strategies, investments, divestments? Uh, what's your barbell strategy in that darker or in that lighter mm-hmm. operating environment? Right. Mm-hmm. What are the big, what are the big risks you're going to take and which are the everyday things you're going to do? And uh, there's two other operating environments that are created by these uh, extremes. And um uh, it takes about 90 minutes to, well, to it takes, them. Yeah, with some clients, it takes three, 30 seconds to figure out what's critical and uncertain about their business. <laughs> For some, it's months, you know, they can't decide and they want to do three at once and mm. it's nuts. But uh, most of the time you can, 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 And we're back. Uh, apropos of what we were just talking about, the system freaked out and shut down, and we we had a critical failure. And now all of us are back, Rodney, Keith, myself. And I think you know, just reflecting on what just happened, I found I found even a few minutes of what should be a ninety minute process really helpful because during the break, Rodney and I were talking about our relationship and what that means and how it was actually like the the genesis of the show rather than something that we kind of assembled to to make a show work so um you know even in a few minutes of a of a burst that that structure was uh insightful and informative 
Yeah. And uh, in the time that we were resetting the Zencaster, uh, I also had time to just think about in the polarity of unable to come up with new ideas, which has not yet been a problem, but is a paranoia that we both share, um, you know, like six (laughs) or seven strategies that I think we could employ tomorrow to create a much more significant backlog of things that we want to tackle. So in both of the areas Mm -hmm. that we think are essential and possibly um, could, you know, break bad, uh, even just in that very short window, we both figured something out that feels pretty uh, critical and pretty germane to making this thing work. Okay. My work here is done. (laughs) So you did a great job, Keith. (laughs) And the internet failing us was perfectly timed. uh, That's that cadence thing. It's like, okay, did we notice what was made possible? by that little itty bitty interaction. Yes. Thank you, internet or whatever (laughs) happened. We We noticed. noticed. Indeed. So um, before we wrap up here, Keith, I was just really curious to hear about the newer liberating structures that were not published in the original book, but are being incubated by you and the community of practitioners that you work with. Maybe if you could just tell us a little bit about uh, what's percolating that we can look forward to. Yeah, uh, super exciting. My favorite part of this is the new. Uh, so the community, this is really a uh, we have a Slack channel and a, I'm trying to keep up with the community now. So the, these, what I'm about to mention are things that have come out of interaction uh, users all over the world uh, from very different domains. So a couple specific ones. Uh, one is called grief walking. So we have mm-hmm. lost so much in this last period of time and even before that, but uh, is there a way to tap social support uh, for dealing with a loss. Well, we've been field testing on Zoom, uh, something called grief walking, and it is it gets my full attention every time. It, it mm-hmm. seems to work as well as it does face-to-face. Now, we, were, we also field tested mm. it. Uh, so there's four questions. This is maybe more detailed, but uh, you answer. We often use just complete these sentences as a way to deeply reflect. So would you like me to share a little bit about yes. grief walking? Okay. Yeah, that seems. So yes, timely. it is true that finish this sentence about a loss you've experienced. Mm. Uh, it is hard because finish that sentence. Uh, I will always remember and never forget. And now that I've shared my loss, at least through this writing, now that I've shared my loss, it may be possible to. So there's a, there's more to the structure, uh, but everyone, everyone is included in responding to those, finishing those four sentences. And then you have a chance to read those out loud and uh, people in face-to-face or a virtual environment walk with you as you're simply repeating what you've written, those responses to the questions. And then you have a chance to talk mm. about, well, why did you walk with me? And what was it like for you? What was it like for me to be walked with? And mm. walk in the virtual environment, we're still trying to work out what that is, but you 
you turn your <laughs> video on and off depending on whether you're with that person and you're walking with them. So it, uh, mm. for me, it's an edge for me to handle grief and loss well and, and actually notice it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a pretty great one. Uh, and it was just responding to needs uh, that we saw out there, uh, deep, mm-hmm. deeper needs. Uh, another deeper need one is something called talking with pixies. So if you take, I bet you've used Troika Consulting before. Or mm-hmm. Have you used that one? Yeah, yeah sure. Well, if, if you take that, if you, if you think about your user as someone who, it's like New Year's resolutions. You, you decide to change, but then you don't. And it's a, a sort of a natural thing for us to uh, fulfill all of our commitments. And so to do the new thing means that you have to let go of some of the, your commitments. And it's quite hard to sort that out. So we create an environment in which you're getting help from two people like Troika Consulting. But it's about those uh, commitments you've made or the assumptions you have about those commitments. And the two pixies, one is maintain all of your commitments. And the other is let a rip baby, uh, <laughs> go for the change, which, you know, you, you probably hear that voice a little louder, but the other one is maintain stability, all the commitments you've made. There's reasons for all of those things. And the two pixies sit on your shoulder or whisper into your ear simultaneously, their messages of mm. maintain commitment. No, go for the big change. And they, they whisper like pixies. And we wanted to go, the reason for that one is uh, to reveal to yourself the, uh, you know, the, the nature of how hard it is to change on some things. And, and that in some of the assumptions you've made over time about the way things are, are just no longer serve you. And through this approach, it's sort of, it's a, it's a deeper approach to a, a consultation uh, that's quite, quite direct quite powerful. Both of these approaches, I'm using two examples where uh, I kind of swallow hard when I think about them. I, it makes me a little, mm. it goes quite a bit deeper and it's because mm. the other, the rest of the repertoire exists. Okay. We can make progress on, on those things pretty easily. And uh, these two, uh, there's probably 15 more. And I'm, it's interesting to be in a role. The first ones Henry and I forged out of our relationship and our field work. These somebody else created pretty mm-hmm. much. And I was involved, mm-hmm. but it's like, oh, how do you do that again? And the, the, the novice being the <laughs> novice for a, a structure and being kind of uncertain about what's going to happen. I, I, I have that experience frequently now because I'm trying to keep up with the community of users. So that's the... That's the fun, exciting engine for the future. The, the being in the in the middle of this large community of, of practice, and um, I love that's it that awesome. the, the, you're I in there. Like, you're uh, in there with the group, so that's great. <laughs> yeah, I feel like things taking on a life of their own is actually a cool place to to wrap up for today. So, Keith, uh, thanks so much for joining us and sharing your liberating structures. Thank you. 
And for anybody listening to this wonderful episode or any others with all of our amazing and brilliant and illustrious and generous guests, uh, (laughs) please do share a review, share an episode. Uh, We read them all. We love them all. Uh, We are trying to help lots of folks out there to change the way that they're working, and we cannot do it without you. And as always, a quick tip of the hat to Taylor Marvin for making us sound good. Brave New Work is produced by The Ready, where we help organizations around the world change the way they work. And you can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at theready.com. As for you, thanks for listening. Now, go change something. Most of the time you can 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 you